What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, let me start by apologizing. The Rudy Law interview was supposed to be out over a month ago, and we had a very technical uh, issue that caused the sound to be, well, it was horrible. It was echoey, and we couldn't fix it. We spent 30 days trying to correct it. It is very listenable now, so I'm hoping you guys enjoy it, and it's tolerable. Thank you for being patient with us. I'm Casey Kasem. Now, on with the countdown. Welcome to KGXT, Gen X Talks podcast live from Central California. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. It is KGXT Studios, one of our very first interviews of the seasons with Rudy Law, former Major League Baseball player, was in the league for, I want to say, was it eight seasons? Seven. Seven seasons. Rudy's joined us all the way from Los Angeles, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm not going to tease him about how far it was to drive here. I'm not going to tease him about um, all the the homemade cookies my wife had to bake to get him here, but we can get to those in a minute. <laughs> Rudy, where did you where were you where'd you grow up, my man? Well, I originally from Waco, Texas, but I grew up in the Bay Area, East Palo Alto, Menlo Park. So you were there for you moved over there young. Then I take it you don't remember much about Waco, or was uh, that- not much other than the chickens and you know the the, <laughs> the, the you know the, the house, the farm, and stuff that we lived on back then. But I moved to uh, uh, was at the Bay Area when I was what uh, I would say from the third grade on. So I was mostly in the Bay mostly Area in the Bay Area, right? And where'd you go to high school? It's called Ravenswood High School. It was in East Palo Alto. It actually closed down two years after I graduated. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, were you a baseball kid there? Did you love playing ball? I played ball since I was a kid. I mean, actually, I played all three sports. I played football, baseball, basketball. Uh, so I love sports. I and guess. You know what was amazing is my dad. He never was uh, sports. He was into. He was a uh, was a, He was into construction. Yeah. So he was not athletic at all. I think we got our athletics from my older brother because you know he was athletic, and yeah. we kind of looked up to him for his sports go. Were you, did you always, when you played three sports, was baseball your favorite? Did you always know that was the direction you were going to go or did that come later? Well, baseball was like the one I worked at the most as far as, um, I mean, like me and my cousin, we used to play a game called strikeout and basically we would, uh, you know, we would take the ball and we would throw the ball to each other and we'd try to strike each other out. So one thing I always knew I can do is hit a fastball. Well, when you, when you look back in high school, you had to know you were fast. 
Well, I was, you know, what's amazing about that. I was always one of the fastest ones in our neighborhood. You know what I mean? I mean, when you're coming up in school, there's always challenges and whatnot as for who's the fastest. And, and we used to race a lot. I remember one time I was uh, coming back after being in professional baseball and my brothers were fast too. So we get on the street and, right. and we have a race and of course I won, but, <laughs> but it's just amazing, you know, um, you know, it's just amazing how the challenges from a kid and then once you got older and whatnot, uh, for just for speed. Well, did you, did you take that, uh, with, with being an athlete, did you take that into, into a college anywhere or did you try to go right into the minors? Well, basically, my story is an amazing one because uh, coming up in East Palo Alto, uh, we uh, that's when they just started integrating, you know, and uh, basically the school I went to, we only had like, say, nine players to 10 players on our high school baseball team. Well, so no, Palo Alto, not a big baseball community then? Is that the it's, it's two different sides. You got East Palo Alto and Palo Alto where Stanford University is. Yeah. So the east side was predominantly black, you okay. know, or, you know, and uh, and basically it was like, you know, for me, it was like no scouts to a certain degree, even though we had some great players coming up. Uh, through, through the years and what, but there was never no scouts really come through uh, East Palo Alto to a certain degree because when I grew up, I was a Dodger fan. I mean, I take that back. Let me rephrase that. I was a Giant fan as a kid, and I used to go to a lot of Giant games. Not a lot, but I coached for Little League. He would yeah. take us to the game, and I remember we'd go there and bat day, and you get a little bat, and right. you try to take it to yeah. the Little League game and whatnot, but oh, have times changed. Man, I'm going to forgive you for being a Giants fan for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk that up to you were a kid, and your coach took you. Otherwise, we can't be friends. That's just but, the rule. But you know what's amazing about that? Even though I was a Giant fan, I had favorite players on the Dodgers, too. My favorite one was Willie Davis, of course. And uh, when I was a kid, they used to call me Willie D. Willie D. You know, <laughs> Willie D and, and stuff like that. So Is that uh, who you imitate did you mimic him did you think about him when he was playing because when i was a little kid uh steve garvey was my guy mm. so i stood at the plate with that straight posture right, that steve right. had man I, I stood at first base with the big glove and i stood i mean I, I i used to practice looking like his baseball cards well you know what's amazing about that i tried to hit like willie davis i mean his style his stance i actually I had a lot of, uh, you know, like I say, childhood heroes. I mean, from the Oakland A's, uh, Reggie Jackson, of oh, course, yeah. Vita Blue. Uh, I mean, you know, the A's won all those championships uh, yeah. back then. So, so I, I, matter of fact, I saw Reggie Jackson maybe a couple of years ago, and I was telling him, I was like, you know, I tried to wear your number. Uh, I tried to hit like you, and it wasn't successful for me. I had to find myself. And the same thing with Vita Blue. I pitched a little bit, even though. I didn't have a, a good arm or I didn't have a good fastball, but I won eight games in high school. And, but they were all like, like battle Royals to a certain degree, because yeah. I would give up a lot of runs, but we would get more than the other team. You know, you talk about that A's baseball team. What a, how many teams back then had such all-stars, you know, you had Vita blue, you had Reggie Jackson, um, Gene tennis was on that right, team. Right. I mean, you had, you had three or four all-stars right there playing and you forgot about joe rudy joe rudy yeah, that's right yeah, yeah yeah but yeah that team was i mean back then like i said i was a kid and you know what amazes me about that is uh once i got older high school as you're coming up and whatnot and in the long jeopardy of of baseball players especially the ones who are successful i mean i'm looking at reggie jackson and all these guys and and i'm kind of looking up to them and now i'm get to the big leagues and i'm playing against these guys uh 
And and what amazes me, uh, Vita Blue. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, they used to talk about the blue, the blue blazer. You know, it's fastball and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So here I am when I came, got with the Dodgers, and I'm facing Vita Blue with the Giants. No, well, I actually had pretty good success what against a him. moment that yeah, must have know. been for you. No, nah, that was, you know, it was just totally awesome. But it was a, it, what the, the, the flip side of that is, when you uh, come, to, you know, from L.A. to San Francisco, the fans boo you. I don't care yeah. if you're from East Palo Alto or yeah. whatever, but, you know. But I think the the Giant fans, they booed us as a whole, as a team, but I don't think they really booed me. Now they they I've noticed I've been to a bunch of Giants games, been a Dodger fan, so I know the rivalry. But um, it's it's kind of like that in 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 my in how I remember it. Even the Dodger fans, you could boo the Giants, but if there was a Giant that you respected, he was a good player. You know, you didn't go after that guy, and I would think the same with the Giants with you. I don't think they would boo you at that. No, I don't think they booed me. But like I say, I played against some of my childhood heroes. I mean, Willie McCubby. I played first base as a kid. Well, how I, did you do against Vita Blue? Uh, I hit him pretty good. Did you? Matter of fact, uh, he knocked me down one time, but it was out of respect. You know, it's, it's a difference today. Uh, as it was, you know, back then. I Knocked mean, you down with you crowding the play that he brought. No, nah, I was hitting him. I was hitting him good, and oh. I was surprised too. I think, I think attitude and discipline uh, works real well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let me let me ask you about that time mm-hmm. period. So you're coming up. You 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 obviously went to the minors. You went to the minors as a Dodger, right? You played for the Dodgers, right? And then they called you up. That had to be 1978. You're right, exactly. So you get there now. Now you've played. You've played AAA ball. You've had all these heroes. You've been to all these games. You know all the players. Your your batting average is way above 300 in the minors. So you get up to the majors. Now you're in the show. Tell me what it was like the first day you walked in to Dodger Stadium. Said, "I'm Rudy Law. I'm here to play for the Dodgers." It was wild. It was like as everybody always say, it was so real. It's like. Like Dodgers always have the the best fans. Number one, I mean, they always pack the stadium, so you always under a lot of pressure. And mm-hmm. then playing with a team like the Dodgers, it's they, they the expectations is huge. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, I've seen a lot of people come and go, and playing under sure. the and and the worst thing uh, can happen is when you playing like say at Dodger Stadium, they boo you for some mistake or mm-hmm. whatever, and that's the worst feeling in the world. Is getting booed by your home fans. By Sixty thousand people. I I never got booed much, but uh, it, it happened. Sure. Yeah. Well, so you, I did changing it to what I did. I remember the first time I walked through the, one of those upper decks on uh, at Dodger Stadium when you walk out and you're in the mezzanine and you first get to see that stadium and the grass is so green and the dirt is so brown and you're not watching it on TV anymore. Now you're there. And I remember that feeling just as a fan. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for you the first time you reported to the locker room and there's your name on the locker, you know? Oh, that was totally awesome to see up there, see your name tag. And and, and you know what's amazing about that? I remember because I played center field and, and I played left field, you know, in the minors yeah. in AAA. And when I first got in the game at Dodger Stadium, I think something happened to Dusty Baker, so I had to go play left field. And I'm like, I didn't feel comfortable in left field yeah. in front of all those fans, but, you know, uh, I had to do what I had to do. And, yeah, you're there. It's time yeah. to step up. How'd you get along with Lasorda? Uh, we had a good uh, relationship at first. I mean, you know, the Tommy was a, a good dude. I remember uh, him, who was it, him? Reggie Smith and Davey Lopes took me under my wing 
And uh, I can remember uh, I was, uh, I used to make tapes of myself, like motivational tapes, like, you know, I had cassettes back then. Yeah. And I remember I was in Mexico and it's kind of embarrassing. I almost don't want to say it on air, but I'm going to say it anyway. Tell us, Rudy. Okay. Uh, so I was in Mexico and I used to smoke marijuana back then. And basically, so I was in the room uh, and this was my own little tape I made and I was in there smoking and I was like, when I get to the big leagues, I'm going to do this, that, et cetera, et cetera. It was like motivation. It wasn't, yeah. nobody else was supposed to get this tape. Sure, sure. Somehow Reggie Smith, Davey Loach, and Tommy Lasorda got the tape. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you know, so, so it was like, <laughs> I was more so embarrassed and, and, and stuff. But when it came down to it, they all bonded together, say, we're going to take care of this young man here because, you know, stuff I said, I was going well, to take. Talk about that when you're a kid, you're right, a right, young right, man, right, right. And you talk about when I get my chance, I'm going to take my, right. it's just like when some kid grows up and he's like, I'm going to get to the majors. I'm going to buy me a Mercedes. I mean, you just talk about working it through in your head what it's going to be like. You know, but it's that's good to teach you about somebody gets all of that tape. <laughs> yeah, it was like I say, I didn't know how they were going to react. But like I say, they bonded together, say, we're going to take care of him. And and they were real cool. I mean, uh, Reggie Smith and David Loves, they were really, you know, good friends. I mean, Reggie's even a friend today. And, uh, you know, Davey used to work with me on my, you know, stolen base technique. Yeah, Davey was a good base runner, too. Yes, he was a heck of a base runner. Well, although that that year, that 1978 year, um, I think I was coming into my stride in baseball in like 75, 76. So by the time 78 came around, I wanted every baseball card. I got your baseball cards. I got them here at my house. I went to every game I could because I lived in the San Fernando Valley. So my dad was, we'd have dinner, you know, at like five thirty, six o'clock. And then my dad would say, um, you guys want to go to a Dodger game? Yeah, the game starts at seven. We're 20 minutes away. We could be there. And they, they used to have, um, down the, and the outside of, um, no, it was in the parking lot. They used to have green, like, look like a toll booth. They had like six or eight of them set up and you'd park your car and walk up to the green wooden booth and go, can I have a ticket? And they'd sell you a ticket right there and you'd walk right in. So we went to. We saw every game you played. I went to a lot of the games you guys played in. I mean, th that's all I wanted to do was Dodgers, Dodgers. And my wife, I hate to say this, she's been to more Dodger games than me. I mean, by a lot. She's a huge Dodger fan. It's killing her not to be in here right now asking questions to you. But So that 78 year comes around. And, and I, I asked you about Tommy Lasorda because Tommy, everybody, every interview that I've ever listened to, Tommy's kind of tough to get along with. He had some real... High expectations. Well, basically, me being young at the time, and uh, I think he didn't, um, you know, the, the older veterans, he would treat them one way. And the younger guys like myself, he would uh, be almost like a father figure to you in the sense. But don't get on his bad side, because mm -hmm. once you get on his bad side, get in his doghouse, you're pretty much a done deal. You really? know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he is, you know, but... He was a trip to play for, but he was cool when he was cool. But uh, like I say, for me, um, I think the Dodgers, if they let me just be me, I would have had more success as far as stealing bases and stuff well, like that, that. That was, interestingly enough, that was my next question. Let me let me back up a second on that. Who brought you into the Dodgers? Was it Tommy that, that said, bring this, this guy up? Or who called you up? I'm not sure. I would guess it would be the general manager, Al Campanis, at so, the time. Right. And Al, Al had a pretty good eye for what, for talent. He brought some people in, but you were brought in for speed, um, you know, among other things, but it was speed. Mm -hmm. Did, did Tommy let you run? Not like 
I got the run when I was with the White Sox. Uh, basically, it was like um, I would have to take get a sign to go. And and that wasn't comfortable for me because uh, once you get to, you know, read a picture and get the move, you know, it was it was like I say, it wasn't comfortable for me because I have times when I wanted to go. I couldn't go. And then if I didn't go when they gave me the sign, he jump all on me but when see, I come back in the dugout. And- yeah, that's where I would disagree with with Tommy on that. And then and not a base runner. I was never a fast base runner. But you get the flow of the game when you're a right. runner like you were, Rudy. And you're on first, and you got that suicide lead, and you're looking, you know, it's like, okay, I know this next pitch. You know, he's throwing some junk, and I got some time. You, because you're there. But if the if Tommy don't give you the signal, he, you're now shackled. You know, you know, it's the rhythm of that the that pitching. You can go. Well, you know, one thing I learned from Maury Wills as a young player in winter ball, uh, he taught me how to read pitchers. And and that was a big plus for me because I didn't know. I was just going on speed, you know, through the minors and whatnot. And and basically that's how I stole all those, the bases in the minor leagues. But once I got with Maury Wills, he taught me how to read pitchers and, and stuff like that. And that really helped me a lot. Well, I, I don't think anybody ever questioned your base running ever, 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 ever. In fact, that was one of the things that we're, we're not quite there yet. We'll get to it. But when you did end up at the White Sox... That was one thing. When I was looking up interviews of people that were talking to you or talking about you, every single teammate and and the guys who brought you on said, let him go. Let Rudy run his... And you still, to this day, I believe, you hold the single season stolen base record for the Chicago White Sox. Exactly. And I'm pretty proud of it. I remember uh, Scott Basednik and anybody who came with the White Sox, you know, then after I played... I would always keep up with them during the season, their stolen bases, and uh, he was getting kind of close. And <laughs> I was actually rooting against him. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, don't get a hit or, you know what I mean. You'd be like, you know, they say records are made to be broken. Uh, I ain't with that program. <laughs> I, I like my name in the record books for something. Just leave it right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Records are meant to be broken, just not mine. <laughs> leave mine there. Well, you know, it was amazing. I met him after my after I went in baseball, and uh, he was when he came to the Dodgers, and we talked, and we became friends. And uh, I was asking him where he got his speed from, and he said from his mother. She ran track, and I was like, wow. So you know, and he had good form. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm running to get there. Well, I don't, let's, I don't want to jump ahead because there's some, there's some White Sox stuff I want to talk to you about, but sticking with the Dodgers. So there you are. You're in the locker room. You come in, you're, and you're just getting there. You just arrived. All right. And you're there with people that are already legends. You're in there with Garvey and Say and Russell and Dusty Baker, Reggie Smith. You're in Steve Yeager's behind the plate, plus the pictures that you got to be hanging around and see and talk to. I mean, you just, you, 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 you earned a spot right in that core group of people. But what bothers me, and I didn't catch on to this as a kid, what bothers me now is, okay, so you get there in 78. Now, you played 78 and 79 with the Dodgers, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Where were you in 80? 80, I was in the big league. 79, I was in uh, AAA. I did sit me down because I got hurt. And so I was in AAA in 79, but 80, I was there. Okay, because 77, right before you got there, Dodgers go to the World Series. Right. So you get there in 78, same team. You got to be just going, this is it. I'm going to do my part, and I'm, we're going to the World Series again. I was starstruck to a certain degree, like you say, naming some of the, the guys you named. And, uh, I mean, you know what was amazing about that? The pitchers for the Dodgers, they were a bunch of jokesters. And were they? 
Oh yeah, and they would make so much fun of my my stance, you know, and and maybe and it was a trip. It used to kind of Rudy, you batted weird, man. You stood. Okay. You there's two people in Major League Baseball in that time to stand out on how they stood at the plate like that, and you put a picture of from a distance. I'm gonna know it's you or Mickey Rivers. Well, <laughs> I stood like that to get that to get that position on the ball. You and Mickey Rivers every time when I was a kid. You know where I got that stance from? I got that from Gary Maddox. Used to play for Philadelphia. Yeah, I remember he that. had that real wide stance, and so I tried it. And what it did for me it was help me stay. I wasn't worried about the fastball; it was the curveball. So with that wide stance, you don't really stride that much, and basically, yeah. you know, you can hit a curveball real good from a real wide stance. Never thought about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. so. So there you are. You come in 78. Dodgers have just been to the World Series. They're angry. They're hungry. They're great guys. They don't go back in 78 when you were there. Right. They don't make it. So you come back in 80. Right. They don't make it in 80. Now, what happened to you at the end of 80? Because you weren't on the Dodgers roster. Uh, 80. Let me see. They sent me to AAA. Didn't they call you up at the end of 81, like towards the end, after the They wanted break? to call me up, but I had some, some personal problems at that time. So I couldn't, um, I couldn't, I wasn't good to be there. But I thought, I, I thought, now maybe I read this wrong. I thought you played at the end of 81. I thought they called you up for like 11 games or something. Was that no, not right? No, I didn't. Um, no, uh, I didn't. No, 81, I think 81, you know, they ended up getting Kenny Landro. So I had some problems, um, and basically they traded for Kenny Landro. So now I'm pretty much in the doghouse. And and what really happened was uh, I got a what was it eighty? I got hurt and I pulled a hamstring. Ooh! And basically the trainer told him I'd be ready to play in three games. Now this is a pull hamstring. Three games, right? And uh, and and two or three days, three games, whatever. Right. And then what happened was. Uh, me being young, um, I tried to play in Chicago with a pull hamstring and I made it worse. So anyway, this is what happened. This is why I ended up, uh, it, this is why I got into the sort of doghouse real big. So I come in in 80, I tried to, you know, like I say, play hurt yeah. and I pulled it worse. So I come in and then you got Tommy, the trainer, and we all in a meeting, just like we sitting right here. And, uh. And then the Tommy was telling the trainer, I have a rush in my players to, you know, back da da to die. And of course the trainer agreed with him. So when I'm telling the reporters this, I got in Tommy's doghouse, like, like, cause you told the truth. Exactly. And I mean, double D and then like, he wasn't the same with me after that. Uh, he started like, it, he looked at me crazy and yeah, it was just well, a terrible situation. Fair, I've heard that I've, I've listened to interviews about that through the years quite a bit where Someone will, Tommy, will get out there and, you know, the, the whole team will say he is push, 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 hard, 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 drive, 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 do what I tell you, it's my team. You know, there's, they have audio of him walking out of the pitcher's mound when he's going to replace a pitcher and he's telling the guy, it's my fucking team. You're going, I'm pulling, you're pulling out, I'm pulling you out. He's coming. You know why? Because I'm the manager. It's my fucking team. You're going to, you know, they got audio of him playing. You can find it on the internet right now. So I would have to agree with some of people's assessment. Tommy. Tommy had a way of doing things and he did it. But I, I've also, you talk about people say, well, I was this and I was that. And then Tommy turns around and says, no, 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 I, I would never do that. But every single other person goes, yeah, you would. You, you, you were hot, man. You know, what was amazing about that. Um, 
I remember when I come to spring training and uh, this was in 81 and they got Kenny Landro. And so basically they interviewed me one time because I, I wasn't getting any playing time. You know, when you get ready, when they get ready to get rid of you, when you go from a uh, live BP to a machine <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit off the machine and, uh, you know, and I would just, I had a whole a real big bat attitude. Mm. I mean, like, like, like fighting mad type of attitude because you know, your, your career is at stake. Sure. Yeah. So basically, uh, here we go again. So I wasn't really playing in spring training. Kenny Landry was getting all the, uh, the playing time. And, uh, so here we go. So I'm, I, every time I got a chance to play, I was getting my hits, you know, I was like, I think I was hitting like 600, but I only had like maybe 10, 15 at bats, if that. Right. So here we go again. The reporters come in, they call me in and, uh, they say, well, what happened to your career for you not to be? And I say, well, I told them about the incident, about the hamstring sure, and stuff. Yeah. And it assures that they go right back to Lasorda and they asked him, you know, and then boy, did yeah. he, he really got mad then. So basically, uh, so I, n I didn't play anymore after that. And so that particular spring, uh, uh that's when they traded me. Yeah. Well, and so you, you, then when you, in 81, when you didn't play, they went to the world series again. Right. Right. So you just, it's like, you just stuck your head up in between the, the, the championships, you I, know? I think sometimes maybe you should keep your mouth shut <laughs> and, but, and not get in Tommy's doghouse. Right. But, uh, but that being said, uh, they did want to bring me up in 81, but like I said, I had some personal problems at that time and, and I wasn't, uh, mentally ready to yeah, play. Yeah, it yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Look at, I'm famous for, hey, hey. I've, I've opened my mouth more times than I should in places I shouldn't ruin things that I could have done too. You know, it's not just you. Hey, you know, what's amazing though, uh, about that. I remember, you know, like the world series, of course, the one in the world series and everybody got rings. Uh, I should have got one, but I didn't. But what, what amazes me is the batting practice pitcher got a, a, a World Series ring. And I'm like, seriously, I, I can't Come make Come on, that. that isn't true. That is not no, true. No, yes, it is true. It the, is. Batting, the batting practice pitcher. Pitcher got a World Series ring. And what's amazing is I see him from time to time, even today, he be flashing his World Series ring. I, I do have a little jealousy over <laughs> that. Funny. I'm like, wait a minute. I was on the roster. He threw a BP and he yeah, got a ring. He, who is he? Was he yeah. offering the... In the yearbook? No. no you, you know what's amazing? I'm not going to mention his name, but he used to actually tell stories that he actually pitched in the World Series when he didn't. Okay, so. You got to be kidding. I, I can't make this who, up. Who, who would believe that? What, what? I can't even imagine what, what crowd he could gather that would, because uh, if you're waiting, you know what? I know where that would happen. If you're at Disneyland and you're waiting to go on the Matterhorn and you're in line and there's people around you in line and nobody knows baseball, everybody's from a foreign country. That crowd would believe that. Well, it wasn't like he was like doing it in a big crowd, but say like if you're doing golf tournaments or, or stuff like that, he'd be flashing that big old ring. You got and I was like, oh, man. That is not true. I, that I, cannot I, be true. I, I, I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, saying the truth will set you free. So who are, you, who are the pitchers you were saying were doing all the shenanigans? That was what, Tommy John, Bert Hooten, uh, Don Sutton? Is that crowd? No. It was uh, Jay Johnstone and Jerry Royce. Jerry Royce. You know, it was amazing. Jay Johnstone was a great guy, great friend. I mean, we had a nice uh, friendship even after our careers are over and whatnot. And uh, I remember uh, Jay Johnstone and Jerry Royce locked Lasorda in his office. And you talking about steaming. 
Do you know? <laughs> do you know that they had to take the hinges off the door to get him out? You know, and boy, was he mad. You know. Yes. Did he find out who did it? Of course. I mean, they, they were the only two guys on the team that would do pranks and stuff all the time. You know, uh, other teams I played on, we we never had pranksters like like we had on the Dodgers. Who else were the pitchers at that time? Was oh, the era we, oh, we had uh, Bird Hoon, Tom, uh, I mean, Don Sutton. Um, were those nice guys? Were they good guys to be with? Or it, were they, they kind of in their own little world? Don Sutton was real nice. Um, most of them were nice. I just didn't like the, who was it? Uh, Doug Rao. Doug Rao, yeah, I remember he, him. He would make fun of my stance and. And they would be like, you know, you know, like, like in the dugout, I mean, you know, in the clubhouse, yeah, clubhouse, you know, you know, making fun of my stance. And it used to kind of like, kind of piss me you off a little bit. Doug, well, you grab a ball and I'll grab a bat. Let's go out there. Come on. Well, <laughs> and, 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 but anyway, and Jerry Royce, he was a real good dude too. I liked him. We, uh, we met Jerry Royce, uh, at that, uh, that bowling event right. uh, that we were at. He was there. I don't know if he came to the bowling event. I didn't see him there, but he was there. The day before they had that little dinner thing at the, at the, there was a little dinner, outdoor right. dinner thing before. And I think he was there for that. And then the next day was the bowling event and you, I met you there. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether he came to the bowling event. He might've been, he might've been walking. No, he was there. people there that day. He was there. Was he? Yeah. I must've just missed him. Yeah. Then, but yeah. You just, uh, so, so there you are, you pop up your head just after in the Dodgers, you show up in Los Angeles right after they win the world series, you, you, you get back down to AAA, right as they win another one. And then they trade you to Chicago. Right. Now, you go from Los Angeles to Chicago. Now, those are different cities. Mm -hmm. How different were the ball clubs? Well, and uh, with the Dodgers, we had a lot of older players, you know, older in the sense that, um, and then with the White Sox, we had a lot of guys around my age, and uh, I can mention some names. Harold Baines, me and him was real tight. Uh, Lamar Hoyt, we were tight. Uh, Richard Dodson, uh, Steve Trout. I mean, I got a kind of funny story about Steve Trout. I remember uh, I was at home and, you know, like come over to my house and and my my ex-wife, she used to like, uh, she would do weird stuff. Like one time she put makeup all over me and stuff. I don't know why I let her do that. But I got lipstick and all this crap on and Trout come over and I didn't know I had that stuff on me when he, and he's laughing and laughing and I'm wondering what he's laughing about. I go to the rest of you. I'm like, oh man. So do you know the, 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 the harassment I had in the club? I was after you the didn't fact. end up with a permanent nickname or something. Oh that. Lord help me. But, uh, but I had a lot of fun with the, the guys on uh, the white socks because a lot of them were my age and we kind of, you know, kind of mended together close to the Dodgers. Everybody had their own little group and that, yeah. you know, most of with the White Sox guys hung out together to a certain degree. Dodgers, I don't, you know. But see, here, something else I noticed too is that you get to Chicago, and within a couple years, you guys start to gel. You guys got a real shot at taking this all the way. I mean, you guys got some talent all over the field. You got some good pitching. You got some. Then uh, you, you, who was it that came by? Who was that other? The second baseman came on board. Julio Cruz. Cruz. Julio Cruz. He was fast too. Yeah, yeah. He was one you of my. You guys were a double thread. He was one of my best friends. I mean, he passed away, but uh, it, it's kind of weird because me and him talk all the time, and then um, all of a sudden he lost contact, and I called, and next thing you know, I saw on Facebook that he had passed away. I know he had prostate cancer, but uh, you know, it was just kind of wild. I he actually sent me like um, 
all these colognes because me and him used to go shopping and he would always buy all this expensive cologne and stuff. <laughs> and so I would, he would, you know, hook me up and uh, not so much give me stuff, but he showed me what he would wear because sure. I used to like the smell and whatnot. Yeah. And then he sent me a box, maybe about 13 different colognes, you know, just before he passed. Yeah, some friendships, they just last forever. Yeah, when they yeah, click, yeah. they do. All right, so now i got a question. Now, here's me as a fan, because, you know, fans love to judge baseball players. You know, we love to be in the stands going, oh, what are you doing? Why did you, you know, because we're, we're obviously better at this than you are, which is why right. we're fat asses are in the stands and you're, you are the uniform. But we Monday morning quarterback everything you guys do all the time. And it's easy for us because we don't actually have to perform. So I got to play. I want to get it up on the screen. Kid, can you put up on the screen up there? I want to show. Let's show that video all the way through, and then we'll show a couple of pictures and see if you recognize this, Rudy. That's you leaving second. Okay. Come around third. That's you. They called you out. And you know who got mad? Tony <laughs> LaRissa came out. You know. He got himself thrown out of the game on that one. <laughs> I don't know. Do you remember that? Oh, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Basically, I was coming back from pull hamstring. So I couldn't run as fast as I wanted to. And and I wasn't running as hard as I could have. And, uh, and yeah, Tony LaRusso is probably the, the greatest manager and friend I ever played for. He He let me be me. I mean, he told me, you can run all you want. All I got is a stop sign. And and that's how I stole all those bases because I can run whenever I wanted to. And it's it's it's, it's amazing how today, how the game has changed so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, today's game, see, I stole 77 that year. I stole at least 140 like Ricky Henderson did. Yeah. But, but Ricky would run on all, you know, all situations. I mean, if they were losing by 10, he would run. Yeah. Even winning by 10, he would run. So. So basically, uh, you know, and then you bring stuff on your, on yourself. I mean, if you're running and the, your team is winning by 10, 15 runs or whatever it be, or eight or five or whatever, I mean, they, then pitchers start throwing at you. Do you, uh, did, let me, this is just a, a, probably a stupid question, but it really, I, I want an honest answer on that. When the game is close, mm -hmm. did it change how you ran? Did you feel more pressure to run, more nervous about getting to second base? Or could you, by the time you've been in the majors years, could you actually loosen up during any play and you were just going to do your job? You know, for me, it was like, I'm going, get me. You know, that was my, uh, my logic. Cause for me, from first to second was automatic. The year I stole 77 bases, I only stole third base maybe once. Mm. You know, I figure, uh, number one, I didn't have a lot of confidence in stealing third base. So I would just, you know, I figure, Hey, First or second, automatic. We got guys behind me, Harold Baines or Carlton Fist and guys like that. Uh, Greg Lezinski, they knocked me in and they did that a whole bunch. That I saw an interview out there where those guys were on there. Every single one of them mentioned you, that it was great following you in the order because he says, Rudy, get on. And then my job was a lot easier. Okay. You know, now they had to pay attention to him, weren't pitching as good to me. It changes things when the when there's a runner on for how they pitch. Well, and two, I would let the guys know behind me that when I was going, you know, I'd get him a sign, let them know, and then they would take the pitch. Yeah. And uh, and uh, like Harold Baines, Carlton Fisk, and if you noticed that year, Carlton Fisk hit a lot of home runs because he was getting a lot of fast fastballs with me on first base. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. They want to get that ball to they get to the catcher as quick as they could. 
You sure. Know, you know, for me, I had catchers who were like automatic. I can fall, stumble, get up, and still steal a base on them. But basically, you didn't steal on the catcher. You were still on the pitcher. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Who's the hardest catcher to, to steal against? There was a couple. Uh, Lance Parrish from Detroit. Uh, he would pitch out a lot. They must have. They had my. They had my number. And Bob Boone from the Angels. Those were the only two that that I really fear. And then uh, Rick Dempsey. I'm surprised you didn't say. Did you just never play? Oh, well, back then they didn't do a lot of. They didn't do interleague play, did they? So you didn't play a lot of National League teams. Well, you well you know a lot of division teams. I would say a lot of out of your division. Did you ever play against Johnny Bench? You know what? Just as you were saying that, I was just getting ready to mention Johnny Bench. I remember coming up as a kid. Johnny Bench was throwing everybody out. And, everybody. And so when I came up in '78, my first year, uh, I couldn't wait to steal on Johnny Bench. And like I say, you don't steal on the catcher; you steal on the pitcher. But but I remember uh, one game when I got three hits in '78 against him. We was in Cincinnati, and. Uh, and so Johnny Bench uh, was catching, of course. And uh, so I get on there. I stole like two bases and whatnot. But he was amazing about the whole thing is now we in Cincinnati and it's packed, you know. Yeah. And so I get in my stance. I hear all these fans like uh, they start, you know, like like laughing and stuff. And I'm like, what they laughing about is some show I'm missing out here. <laughs> they were laughing in my batting stance. <laughs> And it was kind of like weird because you up there and you hear all these people laughing and stuff. And you like, it was just, it was, it was an uncomfortable feeling. But I, I say, I got to show them what I can do from here. And like I say, I got three hits and two of them were infield hits. And then, and then my friend, good friend, Bobby Castillo, he passed away. Uh, but he was like, why don't you get a real hit? <laughs> and so my last time up, I hit a shot up the middle for a base hit, and I come in. I was like, is that real enough for you? Wait a minute. Now, what's a real hit if you just because if you hit it deep into the, in the third base line and you're fast enough to beat it out, that's that's a tougher hit. You know, that's well, a way tougher hit. They had Dave Concepcion at shortstop, and I remember hitting one like a little chopper, you know, between. And I, I'm running. He'll never get me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that was the attitude I had. And, and you know what's amazing, though? Now, I was fast, but there were some guys that were a lot faster than me. Who was faster than you? Uh, Bo Jackson made me. This is when I was in Kansas City my last year. But Bo Jackson was so fast, it was unbelievable. Willie Wilson was real fast. Uh, Did you ever play against Lou Brock, or was he before you? No, he was before me. Yeah. Yeah. But re Lou Brock was just very smart. You know, and he had that knowledge. And, and, and to me, Lou Brock wouldn't really get a big lead. He just, you know, he just the knowledge. But uh, I tell you, I was in Kansas City just real quick on Bo again. Yeah. So I'm coming back from an injury. So I'm out there testing my leg and running, you know, speed. And, and he's like, he's warming up. And I took off and I'm like maybe 20, 30 yards in front of him before he even moved. He came by me like I wasn't even moving. And I was like, whoa, you know. Now, I ran a 6.560. One time I ran a 6.3 because in spring training every year, the Dodgers, would, would, the fastest runners would run for a gold watch. Hmm. And I won it twice, you know, you know. And actually, That's nice. Yeah, Good. Yeah. I like that. Well, you know, even in the minor leagues coming up, uh, guys on the other teams or whatever, always the fastest guys. And it was usually, no offense, it was usually black guys. We were all running against each other right. to see who was the fastest. And uh I don't know if you remember a guy named Jimmy Giles. He used to play for the Tampa Bay. He was uh, a name. He, doesn't know. Well, he was in the Dodger organization. He won the. Uh, he was a pro ball. Uh, he was a pro bowl um, 
tight end for years with uh, Tampa Bay. And this guy was a big, he was built like, like Hercules and, uh, and boy, he could, he run, but like I said, I was faster than all of them. I've never seen any, I've never seen an, an athlete just in general, like, like Bo Jackson. That just was amazing. Bo was built like Superman. You know, I mean, I ain't never seen nobody chiseled like that and can run that fast. And he could throw, he had a hidden arm from deep yeah. center. He could throw you out almost the home plate without a one hop. I, I never seen him throw like that. Yeah. I mean, very rare. You know, the hardest throwers I've seen in the game back then was, uh, of course, Dave Parker. Yeah. Uh, Reggie Smith seemed like he could throw the ball through a brick wall. Uh, and, um, of course, uh, Bo, uh, but they had some guys had some great arms. So you go, you end up, now you're in Chicago. You got a team that really has some some good young raw talent. You you're ready to make a run, and you guys do. You make it. You're you're heading into the to the championship series. Now you're going for the division. And who'd you play? Baltimore. And how'd that go? It didn't go so well for you us. Did well, you batted right. you batted well in that. But I choked to the one game at the end, and the game was on the line. And fans don't forget. And I never forget, I was facing this guy for Baltimore. Let me see if I can remember his name, a uh, left-handed pitcher. And uh, we had a, we could have won the game. We was at Comiskey. He threw me a curveball, and I took it for a call strike three. And like I say, the last thing you do is the last thing fans remember. Yeah. But, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, we, I think, you know, what happens is when you're in playoff baseball, it's a different atmosphere. There's a different pressure. And some people can come to the, you know, come to the plate and some don't. And I was like, and I think for me, I just tried to stay away because it's, it's a different atmosphere. When we was in the playoffs, even in practice, you would see like maybe 80, 90 reporters all over the field doing interviews, talking yeah. about whatever. And um, I just stayed away from that. I've just concentrated. I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to get noticed out here. I'm going to, you know, and I had that attitude and, uh, and it's the same thing with today. I mean, you look at the Dodgers, they won all those games this year in the Atlanta Braves. But what it is is, see, you can get penalized in the sense that you have the layoff for, I think they was laid off for like a week and they didn't play or whatever. And, and you just can't, uh, you can do simulated games, but it's nothing like the atmosphere of a crowd and the sure. pressure and stuff. Yeah. So I think what happened with both of those teams is, uh, they just got flat at the, at the wrong time. You know what I mean? Uh, and and you can't blame it on anything other than you facing the top pitchers on each team. And if you got a weak layoff and then you got to go in there and face those guys, you, you know, baseball is like you, you'd be hot at one team. And if you notice the Dodgers were hot pretty much all season, Atlanta sure. was hot. At, and look, both of them got eliminated early. Yeah. So. Well, so let me, I want to jump back to one thing, uh, that, that play that we showed right, you where right. you came around there. Kid, put up that play one more time. I want to. I want to critique this because, um, you know, I, I think you need it, Rudy. I think you need some big fat white guy in the desert telling you how to play ball here. So play that. Now play the video back on that. I want to show him coming around third base. You, you went so wide on third base. Right. right. Have, you could have skied me a high five if I was in the stands. Let's see that again. Ah, that's funny. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So there you are. Got that lead. You take off running. And just from what I see, look how far out you are. Look how far out you are. You didn't make a sharp turn. Like I said, I was just coming from a hamstring. I was going to ask you if they yeah. made it now. Yeah. When you go to the end of this, and I got I got still pictures of this, you didn't slide right out the plate. I slid when I... You got you to time it. I think if you'd have been one foot over, you'd have hit the plate. Here it comes. Watch this. Look at this. That Put the pictures, Bridge. Put I, the picture. I was still safe. It's <laughs> close anyway, but yeah. You, okay, so there's one you're coming in. Right. I don't think you're coming right at it. Now go to the next one. Right there, you are you are that you are third base side of that plate by about a foot. It just looked like if you'd have been over here, there's no way he could have caught you. I think you just missed it. I think if my hamstring wouldn't wouldn't pull, uh, I'm just coming back from that injury. Um you know, I would have been there a lot sooner than a that lot ball. Sooner. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so too, because you turned the base real wide, you missed home plate by a little bit. I think if you hadn't been hurt, there'd been no question you'd have had that. And what's amazing about it, I wasn't running as fast as I could have ran because I didn't want to pull it again. And the worst injury you can come from in baseball is a poor hamstring because you might be out a month, maybe yeah. two months, and then it's never the same. And then you kind of like worried if you're going to pull it again, especially if you have speed. So when you finished up with Chicago, did you come back to L.A.? Did you move back back to Los Angeles? Oh, yeah. Who's going to stay in Chicago for the winter? <laughs> I'm telling you. Shoot, that's put up the, okay, we got a couple pictures up there. I want to uh, see if we can put up. Not that one. The other one's not him playing. There was a uh, had one up here. That was LaRusso getting thrown out of the game for you. Boy, he didn't waste no time coming out there. He was on that. Get another one up there. This was the one. This, was, this wasn't exactly a recruiting video, but they there was a talk. Um, it was your friend that you said passed away. Second baseman. Julio Cruz. Julio had yeah. said, this was, uh, Rary is right there. He had talked about that. Then they played that clip. He says, Rudy was already there. He goes, when I showed up, he goes, we were a double threat. He goes, you you had to, you had to be very worried about what we were doing. You know what was amazing about that? Uh, Julio came from Seattle. And like at the beginning of the season, he might have had 30-some bases already. And I think I only had like 15 or something. And then I just took off, you know, just took off. And I called him, passed him and whatnot. But, uh. Yeah, we were definitely a double threat. Go to that next one, kid. Go, Brig, show up another one. I got another slide up there, too. One more. Who's that? A Roland Heeman. That guy sang your praises in that video like you wouldn't believe. He said, and he, I'll, I'll almost quote him. He says, I got him, and I just wanted him to run. I didn't want to have any rules. Just run, run, run. That was it. See? He even said, he noted, he said, I think the Dodgers were very restrictive on Rudy. Exactly. All I wanted him to do was run, and I turned him loose. He, he. If it wasn't for him, I might have been out of baseball. Uh, if they, the White Sox wouldn't, it wouldn't have picked me up. Who knows what my future would have been like? But yeah, he always had my back, my corner. Real nice guy too. You know, opposed to, uh, and I'm not down in Al Campanis. He was very knowledgeable and stuff. But Dodgers had more control over you than the White Sox. Just let you play, right? You know. Go to the next one. There is that one of uh, Rudy. Uh, now, well, they, wait, there's your stance. <laughs> that wasn't the same stance I had with the Dodgers. No, but that, no, that's the one that looks like uh, Mickey Rivers to me. Okay. That's the one where you okay. guys look the same. All right, do the next one. Okay. 
So this, to me, the hills on that look like Palm Springs or La Quinta. Were you out there doing something with oh, the kids? I, I worked with the Dodgers in after my career for like 16 years in public, you know, public yeah. affairs. And, and yes, I would go out and, uh, you know, I kind of missed that to a certain degree uh, because I would love going, talking to the kids. The Dodgers had this big old like uh, freight thing where they had all the stuff. And then I would bring them T-shirts, uh, stuff for school. Right. Uh, I would do classrooms. I would talk to the kids, and and basically it was pretty awesome uh, because you 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 talk to the kids and you try to help them about their future. And then I would tell kids like I get them. I do classrooms or a big group, or I did a lot of uh, little league opening days, and I would like get in their head, especially in the classroom because it was more personable. And I'd say, well, what do you want to be, especially if a kid is not joining in and, you know, we have questions and answers. Sure. So I would, you know, not pick on them, but I would say, well, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? So I would tell them the importance of school, education, and 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 just having, you know, something you want to, you know, uh, specialize in. And and to be honest with you, I, I thought I helped a lot of kids. Uh, I, I'm sure you did. You, know, you have and, to, because those kids looked up to you. When you come in and you're a ball player, and they, someone says, he played for the Dodgers, he played for the Watch Dogs, he was in the show. Kids know what that means. They know when you got a baseball card, that's something that's rare. I don't care how many people say, well, this player, this player, this player's great, this player did. If you made it to the major leagues, mm -hmm. take, take six billion people on this planet and narrow it down to how many people got to do what you did. It's the size of a toothpick. You know what's amazing? Uh, I never was trained in public speaking and stuff like that, but as much as the Dodgers paid up, you give me a crowd, I come up with something to say. And I kind of got started getting good at it to a certain degree. And uh, I'll never forget one time I was doing a little league opening day and I'm talking and uh, and I'm thinking I'm going too far. So somebody tapped me on the shoulder, like, you know, you know, your time's up or whatever. No, what happened was the mic went out and, oh. I, and I'm talking. So, but, you know, I kind of missed those days because, uh, with the uh, the uh, O'Malley's when they were running, you know, when oh, they had the ball, uh, yeah. they they were awesome. Um, uh, Fox when they took over, awesome. McCourt's awesome, but with the new regime now, I can't even get a ticket to a game now. Really, I, I, I'm serious, and it, it's amazing because I called over a couple of times, uh, and uh, the guy kept giving me uh, excuses. Now, here I am working 16 years with them and doing community affairs. And the guy who's running stuff over there, uh, he's like, well, you're not, you know, you're not on the speaker's view anymore. So we got a different category for tickets for guys who are not on the speaker's view. And, and, and he kept giving me excuses. And then he's talking about, well, uh, if you come to the game, we, we got to make sure you're there. Now, with the records, the Fox and the Malleys, I got as many tickets as I want. Uh, and it was just it was just awesome. It's more like family. It I really mean, is. Yeah. I mean, I used to go in the ticket roof. I'm in a uh, ticket booth. Uh, Billy Hunter was running things. And he, I, Billy, I need five. I need eight. I mean, he just peel them off. And now, like I say, I, if I go over there and try to get in the game now, shoot, I might get arrested. <laughs> You got to show up in your uniform, holding your baseball card, going, I need a ticket. And telling me, uh, uh, we got to make sure you're there. That's a shame. That's for, me, for me, that kind of turned me off. I don't even go to Dodger games anymore. I, I watch it on TV or I don't. I really, I, I, I'm really into golf and football. Yeah. You know, I watch football every, I can watch football all day long on Sundays. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, baseball, I watched a little bit during the playoffs. You know, baseball has changed so much. I mean, look, you got guys now, and and not knocking them. I mean, it's the different era and time. Sure. But you got guys hitting like 196, maybe with 47 home runs. I don't think that's a successful home run. I think they hit and miss. I mean, look at the guy for the Dodgers. I don't want to mention his name, but guy hit like 211, 220, he might 38 home runs. I mean, serious, that's hit and miss. Yeah. You know, but times change. I got a good story that uh about uh Willie Mays and uh Don Drysdale. Oh yeah? And uh yeah. And you then, met Don Drysdale? Oh, Don Drysdale. When I was with the White Sox, he's one of the announcers, so you get to talk to him, see him, and it's it is you get to know him personable more. Sure. And I uh, I remember uh uh I think Tommy Davis was telling me the story about uh about uh Don Drysdale and Willie Mays and and you know how guys used to dig a hole. You know, when they get in the batter's box, dig mm-hmm. that hole and whatnot. So uh, Willie Mays was up, and he forgot that Don Drysdale was on the mound. So he went back and covered the dirt up <laughs> where the whole way dug it in, yeah. and Don Drysdale knocked him down anyway. <laughs> you know, today's game, guys hit home runs, and they flip the bat. They do all this stuff, and, and it's cool. I mean, it's not cool because back in the day, you couldn't have done that. You'd have been, you'd have, you'd have got drilled next you, time up or that time. You do up. some stuff like that too much. You clear the benches. I mean, things change. Uh, back in your day, yeah. the benches cleared a lot. Well, let me tell you, back in my time, if if you hit a home run, next time up, you you got a good chance to get drilled or the next batter after you. <laughs> they make an example, you know, and that's yeah. why they had so many team fights back then. I. <laughs> You could just seem like the. I had one son, my oldest son's 31 right now, and we watched some old games and stuff. And we, you know, go through YouTube and see stuff. And he turned around one time, said that he must have been about 13 years old. He says, Is that what you guys did back in the 70s? Is fighting? I'm like, Well, now it's not. It was just a different era. I mean, right, there, was, right. there was some, there were some people that were very proud of what they were doing. You, you throw a ball at him, the whole team's coming. You know what? As a hitter, you know when the pitcher's throwing at you. I mean, because you know where their their release point is, and when they release it behind you, what you gonna do? You yeah. can't you can't move back because the ball's coming so hard. You get drilled. I never got hit a lot, but uh, I did get hit. You know some. Now speaking of the the couple things I want to ask you about um, the new era of baseball. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking. I don't want to go into the rules really, but. Right. I think athletes in football, basketball, and baseball are, and I use the word better loosely, but I think training for a sport begins much earlier with professional trainers getting kids in high school. So you get a better product as a, like football players today, they're nothing like they were in the seventies. Mm-hmm. Every football player today seems to be just at the peak of their physical because they've trained, they have trainers and medicines and doctors that hone them into something that's just like you look and go, that is just a specimen of a man. How did you get there? But I think it starts earlier now in life for kids. Well, I think it starts at 12 and 13 and 14. Probably, but it's not for free. The parents got to have some money for them. Oh, yeah. You that's know, for, sure. for that too. But I remember uh, one thing that I regret because uh, I trained hard during the summer uh, before, the, you know, before you go to spring training. But one thing I regret is I didn't run the basis. As part of my uh, my workout routine, I would run sprints. Mm. But once you get on that hard dirt and stuff like that, and you making turns and stuff, it, it it's different on your body. Sure, and I, I would get even thought of that. That's... I, yeah, yeah, I would get shin splints in spring training, and ain't nothing worse than a shin splint. And 
And like I say, if I would have been running the bases in, in, in practice, because your body gets used to turning and doing yeah. different stuff that is, instead of just going straight. But again, that's that's someone training you that that right on top of you 24-7 from this age to this age, honing, right. and not just doing right. it yourself. Right. right, That's a team of people. Well, I actually had the White Sox send a, a, a trainer out for me one one summer, you know, well, during the winter, and he, and he worked with me and stuff like that. And, and I pretty much didn't get hurt. Because he had me doing different stuff that I That's wasn't used stuff. to doing when I was uh, younger. Now, like I said, I'm going to talk about the player differences now. I'm going to talk about something else. I don't want you to get all riled up, Rudy. I don't want you to get yeah. mad. Uh-oh. But, you, but from the era you played in, uh-huh. we talked about you just missing the World Series here and there. All right. But three times in my book, you were a little late with the Dodgers. You had your in the minors with the Dodgers. And you didn't quite get there with the White Sox. For me... That's three, that's three times you were pretty damn close. But I want to tell you, here's what else you were close to. The money. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought you didn't want to get me mad. <laughs> i tell you what. Tell me that's not the be like, because right. you, you've got to look at some of the players are going, I was better than you right, are now, right, and right. you were making 10 times the money. You, you got an endorsement from some company, and, and you, ain't, you ain't as fast as me? Come on, man. Well, I think what happened was back then we went through at least three strikes and it was all about the money. And the older guys would tell the younger guys, we going through these strikes so you guys can make more money in the, in the, in the future. And, and times changed. And, uh, you know, and of course the, the money is different. And, and like the example I was telling about the guys, like maybe hitting 196 or 40 some home, home runs. Uh, but guys probably make it 20, 30 million a year, whatever it be. Uh, like I say, yeah, we, we look when I played, the minimum was 32,000. That was the league minimum, the league minimum. So when I came up to the minor, to the big leagues, I was happy. I'm like, shoot, I'm making money now, you yeah, know, 32,000, right? I'm, I, you know, I'm happy, you know, your, your check changes tr- tremendously from sure. what you, my first year in, in rookie ball, I made $500 a month. <laughs> After car note, rent, I was out there playing for free. Okay. Who's count for you sleeping on? Because uh, uh, $500 a month is, you got to find a budget sleep on that couch. Yeah. I remember one of my coaches because we didn't hardly get hardly no meal money and stuff. We was out there hungry. They said, he's a hungry player. Yeah, I'm literally hungry. Literally, yeah. And so I remember one of my coaches uh, told me this was my second year in A ball. He's talking about eat pancakes, they stick with you longer. <laughs> I'm like, if you pay me some money, I could eat the way you eat, you know, but no yeah, yeah, we wasn't making no money. And then once you get to the big leagues, you get uh, so much meal money, you, you don't, you, and then in the big leagues, you have food in every, every, you know, clubhouse after the game. So you don't really have to spend your meal money. You know, I've been, I've, I've gotten a few couple tours in Dodger Stadium, just, just a fan. Um, I have to tell you from the locker rooms that I've been in, the Dodgers locker room is not impressive at Dodger Stadium. Were there better better stadiums for you to go to? What was it? What was it like going to different places? We would always root how the spread was after the game. I got to admit, Cleveland was the worst. Really? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but even going to the American League, the Angels, first class, you know, food. I'm talking about like you talking. I think one place we was at after the game, you had steak and lobster or something like for that. For a visiting team. Yeah, 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 for visiting. Wow. And they would take care of the visitor players because you give them the tip yeah you know i think after one season i gave the clubhouse guy a thousand dollar tip you know and and look look at the money they making today yeah. posted back then but 
I guess it, it's an individual thing, but my first year with the White Sox, the, the, the clubhouse guy was making more money than me a year. <laughs> and I'm out there playing. I was like, oh, man. But uh, well, Rudy, you also had a guy who was a, a batting practice pitcher pitching in the World Series. So, yeah. you know, you got to leave these fellas alone with them. I wonder how much that batting, <laughs> batting practice pitcher made. If he says he pitched in the World Series, I want to ask that guy. How much you make that season? Well, I, I don't know, but here's a quick story. Uh, we had a guy named Glenn Marshall. He threw BP, got through hard. I mean, like, you know, like game speed and BP. For me and BP, I just wanted them to just lay it in there, work them once, you know, move the ball around. This guy's throwing like bullets, right? And so, he, so Steve Yeager was up and he drilled Steve Yeager. No. Yeah. Yeah. In batting practice. Yeah. He wasn't trying to hit him, but he hit him. It just happened. Yeager threw the bat at him. I'm serious. I'm <laughs> lucky he had that that screen up there to protect him and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I would uh, always like to hit off the coaches. And I got a good uh, point from uh, Dick Allen. Remember Dick Allen? Yeah. And I was telling Dick, I was like, you know what? I don't really like facing the pitchers in, in, in batting practice. Wait for the game, you know? I don't want my, I don't, it's like in, in, in batting practice, you got one mindset and in the game, it's different attitude and, and, and you, you take it to another level. But he told me, he said, just get in there and think, put, put in your mind, it's a three Oh count. And he just got to lay it right there or three, one count. And that really helped me be a more aggressive, oh, you know, I got you. Yeah, yeah, so, he got to give you one at that yeah, point. Yeah. So that was pretty good. And, uh, here's a, here's a good story with the white Sox. You remember Wayne Gretzky? Sure. Okay. So when I was with the White Sox, we had a couple of guys who was in the hockey. So they would have the little masks and they, they'd be have right in front of a door and they have the little bats or whatever the thing to block the ball. So Gretzky came in the locker room. And uh, so one of the guys was there and they had a real hockey puck and hockey stick. And Gretzky and the guy got in front of the door and Gretzky hit that thing so fast. It hit the back wall before the guy moved. Went right. Be he must have hit it like like about that far off the ground, and it was unbelievable. Cause you know you know they call him the great one and yeah. whatnot. And then I ain't never seen a hockey game, but to see that it, it amazed me. Who would stand in front of Gretzky in the doorway and say, "Try to get it by me"? So that's what they used to play, <laughs> but they didn't do it. They didn't do it with a hockey puck. They would do it with a what did they have? I think they had like socks balled up with tape and whatnot, and they would do but it. But you're like, missing the point, man. If someone told me, okay. Gretzky's going to stand here. I want you in the doorway. Pass. No, not at all. Oh, the guy had all the equipment on and stuff. But like I say, he hit it between his legs. It came about that high off the ground. And I ain't never seen nothing like that. And uh, here's a quick Tom Seaver story, too. When I was with the White Sox, he was a good dude. Tom was a great pitcher, yeah, too. Yeah, he yeah, really was. Yeah, I faced him a couple of times. How did you do against Tom? Uh, I don't remember striking out. I was pretty hard to strike out. I mean, you know, I might ground up, pop out, whatever it might be, get a hit or whatever. Uh, but uh, uh, back to Tom. So we in the White Sox. And, and this was about one toward tail end of my career. And uh, so Tom, uh, I come in one morning. Tom cleared my locker like I got released and whatnot. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, where's my stuff? <laughs> And he laughing and stuff, but he was a good dude. We had a good friendship. I used to ride back from games like when we was in Milwaukee and we rode back from Chicago. I'd ride with him. He had an old, old 69 station wagon or something like that, but he was a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. But he didn't leave a pink slip hanging in your locker. I see. He might have left a pink slip. You know what the flip side of that was? I think I actually did get released that spring. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. So was go back to Jaeger. Tell him was Jaeger was, was he was he a hothead? Did he get mad easy, or was it just that one time? Uh, I think he was a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, and I'm more than I hate to say this, uh, uh, but I, it ain't like I'm gonna see him, and he, it don't matter if I do or don't. But for me, you know, we used to have guys we call five o'clock hitter. You know, at five o'clock, you hitting balls out of every part of the park. That was Jaeger. We used to call him a five o'clock hitter because at seven thirty, he wasn't doing nothing. No, you did not. <laughs> I'm serious. That's not a true story. Yes, it is a true story. <laughs> and and basically, you know where he got his famous when that, that I think it was the '81 World Series when him and Guerrero got co MVPs and he was hot. Yeah, you know when you get hot at a certain time, you you hot. You know. Yeah. And when you're not, you're not. Well, I don't remember growing up. Uh, I don't think Steve Yeager was ever. If I could be wrong, I don't think he was ever an All Star. I had every baseball card every year. Because you know he had and he had to beat out some good people. He had to right. beat out Johnny Bench. He had to beat out um, uh, Gary Carter. Okay. You know there were some guys that were they were good good catchers. <laughs> but um, he uh, there was something that happened to him. They kind of turn in Los Angeles. He did some photo shoot where he was naked or something. Oh, okay. And I don't remember. I you know, but boy, my wife remembers it. But that was like a turning point for in in L.A. It's like, okay, you're all about the show, right? You know, you're about showing off. You're about the articles. You know, get that. So that five o'clock story fits. It's like show up with your sunglasses on. He kind of at that moment, and like I said, I was a kid. Kind of reminded me of Joe Namath. It's kind of like, oh, now you're all about the fur coats and the dark glasses. Okay, I get you. It just it was a little bit different vibe when you do that. Took it away from baseball. Didn't have as much baseball. It had more, you know, more on the money side and the show side. Not that he wasn't a great player, right? No. But you know, I'll give him that. But it just it was when you do something like that. I think it. I think it can take away from what you're doing as a job. That's my feeling. That's well, just me. All I know is uh, Tony Larusa used to tell me. He say one thing about you: once you get between them lines, you'd be ready to play, and that's what you—that's what your job is. Uh, today, you know, it's, it's a trip um, that, I, like I say, I don't watch much baseball anymore. But um, you know, like I, I tell you, why a lot of um, black kids or whatever not into baseball anymore to a certain degree because uh, back way back when, uh, instead of them putting an academy. And like in the hood or not just in the hood, but just in the United States to a certain sure. degree. They put one in Dominican first. And and over there, that's all they live for is baseball. Baseball, yeah. I mean, they don't play basketball. They a might lot have of players a, come yeah. out of the Dominican yeah. Republic. Well, yeah. And and if you've got five players, I'm black and I'm not prejudiced, uh, in major leagues right now, uh, it, it, even Dusty, uh, who's a good friend of mine, uh, talked about that, that it, it's like the the black kids or the kids in the not so much in the hood in the inner city area, they more into basketball and football now, but um, they don't understand that for you to go to uh, to, to play basketball or football, you got to go four years of college. You're not going to just come out of high school and get gets you know uh, yeah. to the big leagues, so to speak. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, was there anybody else? It was Steve Garvey easy to get along with? He's, you know, Steve Garvey. Of course, we saw him at the bowling. Steve Garvey's probably one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. You know, I always say Garvey. Uh, he need to be in politics because he's got that that look, that era. I mean, and he, here he goes, and, and that's what I heard something that he's uh, 
United so, States. He wants to take uh, be a United States senator in Washington for the state of California. Well, I think he'd be a great senator. He's going to have a tough sell, though. Now, yeah. A couple things about that, just because he's older. He's 74, right. I think, right now. Um, not that he's not popular, but he was more popular in the 80s and 90s. Right. I mean, just because more people knew him. He's closer to him, to his baseball era. That's one thing. But the other one is, is that in order to win enough votes for the entire state of California, you got to win San Francisco. You got to be able to walk in there and say, I'm a Los Angeles Dodger and I'd like your vote for U.S. Senate. That might be a little tough just well, because of. I still think Steve Garvey, uh, like I say, I see him a lot, you know, uh, often on mostly at golf tournaments and stuff like that, the bowling event. He always, he calls me when he got something going on and whatnot. Uh, I think he would make a, a, a good, um, you know, a good, um, what he's a senator or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I wish him the best. Well, I'm going to try. I've met him. I met Steve. I read up, met Steve 15, 20, 30 times. He actually did a thing up here for somebody in Bakersfield a few years back. And they, you know, had him come up here and autographs and sign memorabilia. And once I learned he was coming, I went over there and he always remembers me. Ah, the big fat white guy from Bakersfield. I mean, you always remember. Right. And we did that event down there for the bowling thing that you were at. And then um, I've met him on a couple other occasions. I'm, I would love to have him sit here right where you are mm -hmm. and a little bit of baseball, but also start talking to people about his run. I'd love to get him in here. I've got his email. I haven't emailed him yet, but I'd love to have him sit down and look. I want to softball some questions, man. I want to. I want to know. I really want to know what your what your platform is. I tell you what, Steve Garvey. Like I say, he's he's a number one in my book. I remember uh, one spring training game. I was on um, third base and he was hitting, and uh, he hit one foul, and I had my helmet on, but it was coming right at me. So I turned my head. The helmet came off and hit me in the back of the head. I had a concussion, and uh, and then I'm like. Oh, I, I, I must have been really tripping because I was like, it's an honor to get hit with a Steve Garvey face. <laughs> no, that, was, that wasn't me talking. That was some crazy that was stuff. That concussion talking. Exactly. But uh, like I say, he's a great dude. Even, you know, when I was getting ready to get traded, I remember uh, Steve Garvey and Dusty Baker because I was mad and I was getting ready to go talk to Al Campanis and I'm like pissed and I'm, you know, so Steve Garvey and Dusty came over and talked to me. Don't go in there you know, talking crazy, just go in there and be respectful, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I'm glad I did because I ended up getting traded to the White Sox shortly after. Well, I've, I've always gotten along with, remember I was a kid, so I'd drive my bike all over the San Fernando Valley. If he's doing a, a signing at a car dealership, I ride my bike and stand in line for five hours if I do whatever it took in the summertime to go meet Steve. And it was the same way when I got older, there was events where you could pay to go do it. I'd cash in all my aluminum cans. I'd save up my mind. I wanted to go. I just, it was a thing with Steve. I got every baseball card I even brought when I met him one time. I had his college baseball card from Michigan, and I said, sign this. And he's like, where'd you get this? I mean, I was, I was a real big Steve Garvey fan. Right, so right. I'm going to try to see if I can talk to him. Maybe, he, maybe he'll do a Zoom call with me, but um, I'd sure be honored if I had a chance to sit and talk with him a little more on, on a serious level, not just, not just an event, but, mm -hmm. you know, sit down and talk. All right you know, kind of a man to man. Let's hear what you got. I'd, I'd do that for like sure. I say, he's one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. I don't get along with Ron say at all. Well, uh, I don't get every time I met that dude, everyone says to me when I was a kid growing up and they say, well, you know, we go, cause in back in the day you could run, you could go down. No matter where your tickets were in Dodger stadium, you go right down to the field. 
they'd make you leave after, you know, kid game starting kids, get back up to your seats, go find your parents. But you come right down to the field when we were kids. Nobody, there was no security that stopped you. And people would sign balls and stuff. It was great. But I had a bad experience with Ron Say. And my parents said, well, you know, you just probably caught him on a bad day. Well, guess what? Out of the 15 times I met Ron Say, he must have been having 15 bad days. Because that dude has been grumpy and angry with me well, every single time. Well, I tell you, uh, one time we was in Philadelphia and uh, we was in a dugout, bees flying around. And I tried to shoe a bee next to Say and it stung him. And he, he was pissed off at me. Uh, I'm just trying to stop the bee from just, you know, shoe him off. But anyway, we, after the fact, I mean, he was kind of quiet. He wasn't one of those guys who was very talkative, you know, like doing the locker room, stuff like that. He was one of them quiet and uh, lead by example, so to speak. One of the guys, a couple of the guys on that Dodger team that I wish I would have got to know a little better just in, in, in the moments that fans get to interact with them would have been, Bill Russell and Davey Lopes. I mean, they seemed like they were very personal, especially Davey. He seemed like he was very friendly to everybody. I just didn't get a chance to be around him very much. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Bill Russell real nice, but he was real quiet during the playing time. You see, you get to know people better after the fact, opposed to when you're playing on the same team with mm. him. I mean, he was kind of quiet. You never see him talk much and mingle with the other players doing it. They had they like they little groups, you know, the guys hung with. Uh Lopes the same way. He never uh, you know, was very talkative, but he did help me out. Well, I don't know, you just you always have these perceptions of of people as 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 stars and athletes right, and, right. until you get to know them and then you find out whether they whether they're everything you thought or they're not, you know. So. I, I think sometimes uh players popularity money they make would not go to their heads you know they think they better than anybody uh, i mean sure you elite you earn that but i mean i i think you should be personable with the fans i mean like me personally i remember steve garvey and and dusty and guys like that with us you know like say you get signed an autographs of fans they were signed to like garvey was signed to everybody got one you know Certain guys just you know, kind of like blow them off and stuff like yeah. that. I've had some experiences even, um, say, recent to a certain degree. A uh, good example, um, I don't get autographs for me personally. I get them for my friends because I got people, you know, friends who, who collect, sure. you know. And I used to be able to get anybody's autograph, you know what I mean, for my friends, not for me. Right. And I remember one experience I had with a couple of guys like Andre Pujols, good example. That is Albert Pujols, brother, and we was in the Angels. Me and Daryl Thomas got kicked out of the locker room. Uh, I went to ask Albert Pujols for sign a couple of balls. He signed them, no, no problem. He didn't seem like he was all that that happy to do it, but he did it. So then the next year, I go back and I see him again. I say, "Hey, can you sign it?" He said, "Didn't I sign for you last year?" Whoa! I'm like, I remember you? I'm like, yeah. Ain't this a new year? I mean. <laughs> You know, sign it. Give me the crickets. I'm a former player. Have that respect. We got in a, 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 a you know, you know, we together. Yeah, but I used to get everybody's autograph. I remember the Yankees come to town. I got, not for me, like I say, I got Jeter. I got a, I got a A-Rod. I was getting everybody. But and, that is a mutual respect. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I used to like doing it for my friends. And uh, I remember, uh, uh, who was it? Uh who was it I had a bad experience with besides Pujols? Um, 
but I used to get anybody. I got Ichiro. I got Ken Griffey Jr. I got Miguel Cabrera, uh, Sandy Koufax, quick story. We, uh, Sandy Koufax, he come to town. Me and Sandy was tight because when, um, when they were getting ready to get rid of me, Sandy went out and worked with me on my throwing. He said, they're not going to release you or get rid of you because you can't throw. So he actually went out in the outfield with me. We got a couple of, he got a couple other players and he was working with me on my throwing. So Sandy Koufax come to town. Now, Sandy Koufax autographed for $500 on the ball, mm-hmm. maybe more or whatever. So I'm in there and I'm working for the Dodgers at the time. And, uh, and so Sandy come to town and I was like, Sandy's here. I need some balls. So I go down to the clubhouse and the guy said, they locked up. I'm like, unlock it. I need some balls. <laughs> Sandy, you know, and Sandy don't just sign for anybody. So he signed four balls for me, you know? So I got him, uh, of course that's $2,000. And yeah, uh, he's a good guy. No, he's a good one of the nicest guys you ever want yeah. to meet. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, I would say uh, I think I want to wrap up this interview by asking you, do you look back on your time in Major League Baseball with fond memories? I mean, you had good times and bad times. They weren't they weren't all easy. But how do you look at it? Would you do it again? I look at it as a kid who came up in a bad neighborhood, didn't get drafted. Uh, baseball was getting ready to go to San Jose state. Uh, I'm proud of that earned a, a scholarship. It wasn't for baseball. I was academic cause I was hitting the books. I wanted to play professional baseball and I figured mm-hmm. you have to, you know, go to college. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't get any scholarships. So the Dodgers noticed me one weekend, you know, I was playing in Joe DiMaggio and I was about ready to quit because I didn't have anything going on me other than that. And the guy noticed me, offered me what, $8,000 I signed was the flip side of that when my competition uh, got like 200, 300,000, number one, number two pick, didn't get drafted. So for me to come from uh, uh, Harley having anything going for him to to get a chance, because that's all I needed. And uh, I just took advantage of it. I worked hard. Uh, it, it's a lot of politics and sports that sure. people don't talk about, don't know about. But I made it through all that and made it to the big leagues. I mean, I look back on it. I, I, I would, I wouldn't change a thing other than maybe get more money to sign. Rudy, what would it be? It's a huge accomplishment, right? I mentioned that in the middle of the program that if you take all the billions of people that have had a chance to go, the the, the amount of people where you could fill up toothpick, they're just they're rare. You guys going to the Major League Baseball is not something easy to do. It's, it's you hard. know, you know, making it in baseball, I think it's the hardest of any sport. I mean, of course, uh, football and basketball, you come out of college, you play four years of college here, you groomed and, you know, you, you still got to be elite mm-hmm. even then. Baseball is so much uh, harder because you got to go through the minor leagues. Nobody come right up and go right to the big leagues. And people don't understand, even in the minor leagues, you play 140 some games. And wow. if you know what it is to play 140 some games playing every day, and if and the only way you make it to the big leagues, you got to be an everyday player, and it it is not easy. Believe you me, it is is a tough. And uh, I'm just happy to um to to make it uh and 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 to be able to to play you know 162 games, 160, 150, whatever it might have been that season. What's amazing about the year I stole 77 bases. Um, I, I missed 18 games that year. Because you missed 18 games and you still got 77 yeah, stolen yeah, bases? Because I got hurt or or either, or either I got hurt or I was getting platooned. So here's a quick story that nobody knows. That's, that's another dugout story. Yeah. When, when you plan during the season, especially with the White Sox, uh, 
they give you a, they show you that all the pitchers that are uh, pitching that series. So when they had a left-hander, I knew I wasn't playing. Right. Right. So, but I'd always have to be ready because I either had to pitch run or pitch hit late in the game. Mm -hmm. And I remember before the games, uh, uh, as we go into the White Sox, we had like the umpire's room was right there on the way to the dugout. So we would slip in there, order pizzas and drink beer and stuff, you know, yeah. and when you know you weren't playing. The pitchers is, is better because, you know, they wouldn't go pitch, especially starting pitchers. Right. But one game I went in there and I was drinking beer and had pizza. So La Russa called me in the pitch run late in the game. And I'm like belching and stuff. I'm full. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. And then he want me to steal a base. And I'm like, I'm running, usually I'm running like this. I'm running like I got two pianos on my back. He calls you up and he, hey, grab the helmet. You're like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not, no. Yeah. yeah. I, being a, uh, a platoon, not platoon player, a part time player, whatever it was, um, you got to be ready all the time when you got speed and you can hit a little bit. So I, I used to pitch it a lot and, um, and, and then come in to pitch, uh, you know, uh, come in for base running. What was your, what was the toughest thing? I don't want to say what was your worst attribute, but what was the thing you had to work on the most to, to keep up your game? Uh, basically, uh, I never wore a cup, you know? And then like when we played in old Comiskey park, they used to play soccer, professional soccer there. So center field, you would have like, you know, where you have one part of the field where it's all chunked up and yeah. messed up. So you would get bad hops in center field all the time, all the time. I mean, like bad hops, you had to really practically go, uh, blocked the ball in the right. field. And uh, so I never woke up. So I remember one game we was playing against the Angels, too. It was a crucial series. And one went between my legs. And like I said earlier, the worst thing you can get is getting booed by your home fans. Yeah. Do you know that winter I went home, I started practicing wearing a cup, and uh, and nothing got by me after that. Fundamentals, fundamentals, yeah. fundamentals. You, you never miss another one when you Oh, no, no, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. Well, Rudy, I really appreciate you making the drive out here, man. It means the world to me that you took time out of your day to, to sit down for an hour with us. It really was something special. I appreciate you. You know what? I, on the way over here, I'm like, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And uh, and then riding out here, and I ain't seen no 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 malls, no eating places. I'm like, God <laughs> bless. Counts. How the hell can you live out here in the middle of nowhere? I ain't seen a store anywhere close. I'm like, am I sure I'm going to the right place? This ain't no hoax and stuff like that. So yeah, I was a little nervous, you know. Well, did it turn out okay? No, it turned out great. I mean, this is a great atmosphere. You're a great guy. Your son's doing great. You guys work together. Shoot, yeah, yeah. I look forward to coming to, coming back. Well, we're gonna do more stuff. Okay. This is uh, just so you know, you'll be the first one to know this. That um, the reason we built this little tiny studio for doing this is because we're launching a radio station. Okay, I'd like to. I I would like my dream. I would like to have a radio station that, in the background, when no one's talking or doing something, it plays some of the coolest music from like nineteen seventy five. Let's say to 1995. That the stuff I picked, right, stuff that right, I would like, right, right. that people would like to listen to. That's that's always going on. But then I would like to fill it with 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 this and say, hey, you want to listen to the to the Rudy Law interview? I'm gonna give you an hour right here, and then I'm gonna have this person and that person. I got Bruce Chandler coming out. Bruce Chandler was has been one of the biggest DJs in Los Angeles mm -hmm. uh, in San Bernardino since '75 to about '95, and he knows every musician he knows every he was there he's on kqq ready he knows all the guys at klos and kmet 
He was just one of those guys. I can't wait to hear his stories, just like I couldn't wait to hear yours. I would like a radio station that just has these little segments of cool stuff you can listen to, and then in between is just some good music. That's okay. it. Something simple. No, that sounds good. If you get some good music, get the Isley Brothers. I love me some Isley Brothers. I'll put on some Isley Brothers just for you. you. And I, I'm on, I, I'd like to be able to sit down at, out of nowhere and just say, hey, we're going to do an hour of this band. I'm just going to sit down my, my 10 favorite songs and why. Because I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Here's what my interaction was. I went to this concert, met him here at this signing at Auditory Odyssey down in the Valley. I mean, I'd just like to put a, a small little personal touch every now and then with some interviews with some cool cats mm -hmm. and, and have, have that over sprinkled over some great music. That's it. And well, see where it turns out. Well, I got to give you props. You are, are great at what you do. Obviously, you, 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 you could take this to another level because you've been smooth. It's not like you've been earth to dirt. I've never done an interview in my life. Well, I, you're my first person I've ever interviewed. Well, I've been interviewed. Right. I've never done an interview. I got to tell you, with some of the Gen X Talk staff guys, I was texting them last night this morning going, I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> I've never interviewed you. I don't know how to interview. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to make it flow. You know, what's amazing. I didn't even see you with a cheat sheet. You know how you got to have some little notes and I whatnot. I, so, I just did it hey, all from memory. Hey, you're a natural. And I'm not just saying that. If you, it, if, you, if you wasn't, I'd say that totally obsolete. Like, mm, I, 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 I ain't coming back up here. Number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rudy, I hope to see you again sometime. Oh, yeah. Some events yeah, yeah. that um, there's a production company doing some stuff down in L.A. again and in Las Vegas. And if, I, I'd really love to invite you to do some of these, to come in and be part of things. If you're willing to do it, I'm, I'm willing to find a way to get you there. I'm down with that. All right, everybody. Okay. That was Rudy Law. Just took the time out of his schedule to drive all the way out here. Drove just through every sort of weather imaginable. Just hailstorms and earthquakes, oh. but he made it. Appreciate him coming in, and uh, we'll give some more uh, some more context to this on the flip side. But thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you later. Yeah.